Must be like the wolf pack, not like six pack. Teamwork. Yes. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the next episode of There's No I in Podcast, a podcast about teams, being in teams, running teams, and generally making the most of your teams, whatever they may be. Uh, my name is Mark Johnson. I am a performance teacher and a performance maker, and I am sharing the microphone with uh, my colleague, Sean Gallagher, who is a sports coach. How are you doing, Sean? Hey Mark, uh, very well thank you, very well. Um, been a little bit less active this week just because of the rubbish weather we've been having which is a bit of a shame so um, been trying to get out on the bike but um, yeah no besides that I'm hoping the weather's going to improve because it's a bit rubbish. I um, have had uh, some really great feedback about last episode and uh, Don Walsh talking about his time at Juventus yeah he's killing it Mark he's absolutely killing it in the uh in the analytics isn't he uh he'll be very pleased to hear this <laughs> our most listened to episode yeah he'll be very pleased to hear this he he was a uh, an avid listener before actually coming on as a guest so he'll definitely be listening to uh to this episode we got coming up so he'll he'll get his shout out but yeah congratulations Dom you are top of the tree yeah i've been thinking about uh, a lot of a lot of uh, what you liked about the last one and how i can reconcile uh throw I, th- I think i ultimately came to really enjoy the idea of throwing throwing young people in at the deep end immediately and letting them get their head around it i i so you've been converted one i'm a I'm, <laughs> I'm a convert to to being really uh no, let's not say bully. Intense um, resilience. Intense resilience. <laughs> um, speaking of intense resilience, uh, somebody who might need an awful lot of resilience at the moment is anyone working in the NHS. Obviously, we're still in lockdown. Uh, a version of lockdown, it's been lifted slightly, but coronavirus is still a massive thing and our National Health Service is under a huge amount of strain as a result. We've kind of we've not really spoken about coronavirus yet, but today we decided to get on a nurse, a senior nurse uh, or a site practitioner called Gina Penfold, who's going to talk to us about what it's like working on uh, a team again, like like with Kevin Casey, where it's life and death sometimes, and see how they're managing their teams at this particularly uh, hectic time. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, we haven't really touched on coronavirus just because I think it is out there for everyone to see here. You know, nobody needs our hot takes on it. No, no one needs. No one needs our our kind of take on it. Um, and uh, what I would say to to the listeners is that um, we do touch on coronavirus um, towards the end of this interview, but it, it's it is more about about Gina's role um in in a hospital in general um which to me is as i said you know one of the most intense i think environments that you could work in a team and that's why i'm really looking forward to this uh to 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 this episode because uh it it is really insightful and gives you a flavor of of what it is like for those people on the front line so to speak yeah so let's jump straight into it gina penfold talking uh pediatric a&E, ITU, Generally Hospitals. Let's jump straight over to her. Okay, so I am hugely, hugely excited to uh, welcome to the microphone uh, our guest for this week, Gina Penfold. Gina is a paediatric site practitioner, and I am super excited about that because I have no idea what that means. Uh, Hello, Gina. Hi, guys. (laughs) Uh, thank Thank you for coming on. Um, I gave a massively ham-fisted uh, introduction. I probably even got your title wrong. So maybe you could introduce yourself. Uh, tell us a little bit about what you do and how you got to what you're doing now. So I work within the NHS. I'm a band seven nurse in the NHS scheme of um, seniority. My title is correct. It's paediatric site practitioner, um, which means I have... Um, overall clinical leadership and operational management of my hospital trust. I've been a nurse for 15 years and I've always worked in London, always worked in um, big London hospital trusts. 
and my background has always been A&E or intensive care. Amazing. We will we will be talking about A&E. We will be talking about <laughs> intensive care. So my current role at the moment, I work on like a small team of um, seven nurses and we provide 24-7 cover for the hospital and we look after paediatrics. So each paediatric area within the hospital has its own ward manager or matron. So my job is to have oversight of paediatrics as a division. So I do clinical leadership, support, guidance, advice for each individual area. And then I have operational responsibilities to make sure the hospital is running safely and efficiently. Okay, so you, in that respect, you said you have quite a small team, but the the people you're kind of working with extends as far as pretty much the entire clinical staff of a hospital. It's massive. It's the whole of the paediatric service. So we cover basically um, A&E, intensive care, general medical ward, haematology specialty, infectious disease, outpatients, neonates, like the list goes on and on. So anyone that comes in from birth to 18 as patients, I look after. And anyone that works within those departments, I'm responsible for their safety, their learning and was, yeah. pedi- was paediatrics something that you had to specialise in? Yeah, so actually I applied, um, originally I wanted to be a midwife, so I applied to university to be a midwife, and then um, fortunately before I started I witnessed a labour, and then realised <laughs> that wasn't for me. <laughs> oh God. I am. Um, I actually, yeah, so when you apply to university you have to, um, on your application, tell them which area you want to specialise in, so either a general nurse which is an adult nurse pediatrics uh mental health or learning disability nurse yeah so your first year is three-year training degree um pathway so your first year is a general nursing where you do mainly psychology biology sociology and then in years two and three you branch off into your speciality so the training is 50 percent clinical and 50 percent theory so half the year you're in university having lectures doing exams yeah. and then the rest of the time you're in hospital working for free for the nhs <laughs> getting all your clinical skills signed off <laughs> <laughs> it's a racket it is a racket <laughs> um, so once you once you move into actually no i'm going to jump to what you're doing now you said you've got this team of seven you're this kind of 24-7 cover across the entire hospital. How many of those seven people then are like working together at the same time? Or is it like one of you is on this area? and? Yeah. So in my team of seven, we never actually get to see each other apart from at handover. We spend half an hour a day with each other. So there's one nurse on per shift. Um, and I'm the site practitioner for that shift. And then I pass on to my colleague for the next shift. So the shifts are 12 and a half hours. So within that shift, I'm literally, I, we carry a bleep. So basically we get called to which area needs yeah. us. Yeah. So if a and busy, I'll head down to A&E and maybe expedite the waiting time by seeing patients, triaging, uh, moving patients onto the wards, discharging them. If um, the wards need me because they're escalating a concern that a child's deteriorating, the pathway of escalation is to bleep me and I respond by going to the ward to assess that child and make a decision as to what treatment they need and if needed, be um, escalate to the doctors. So actually within my team of seven, as the site practitioners, we work alongside the medical team. So on a shift to shift basis, I don't have a nurse that's with me all the time, but we work with the doctors that feels like a uh, a a massive responsibility in that moment of handover then Uh, sean will confirm we spend a bunch of time when we talk to people on the podcast talking about how important communication is and i think up to this point we've taken for granted that that communication is happening in person all the time Mm. what makes or how do you how do you manage that handover and like because it feels like it's critical stuff yeah that needs to get passed on but in like is it time limited is it we got to bang this out in a half an hour high five and then go off yeah i mean it has to be really structured because the whole time that we're actually in handover there's no one on the wards or in the different units actually seeing Mm. or being with the patients so 
and our handover times are staggered and we do them quite frequently throughout the day. So, and because I'm responsible for so many different areas, I'm constantly moving to different departments to catch up with what's happening in that, in that division. So from a nursing point of view with my teammate, so we hand over for half an hour and we have six different areas that we need to discuss and there can, can be anything up to 24 patients in each area. So we've got half an hour to do that. Plus all the operational... It literally is a half an hour. Half an hour. So once we do the nursing handover, so we mainly do, um, we call it highlights. So anyone that we're particularly worried about, anyone that we're that is particularly sick that we want to be on your radar for the next shift. So if the nurse that's handing over to me says to me, okay, cubicle three on this ward um, has been escalated with their oxygen requirement. As soon as I finish handover, I'll go and assess that child myself and make sure they're on the right treatment. And I feel that they're stable to be able to leave them and move on to my next task. So once we've finished handover with the nursing team, so just me and my colleague, I do a walk round of all of the paediatric departments and say, firstly, just to say, hello, I'm your yeah. site practitioner for the shift um, and say, are there any concerns you want me to raise in handover? Make sure everyone's turned up for shift. Make sure that every area is fully staffed. <laughs> that's important. Is, is, that, is that the first thing on the list? <laughs> Actually, that's like one of, there's, there's so many different hats that we have to wear because I'm, I'm also responsible for staffing. So if someone isn't there, then I have to redeploy staff from other areas depending on their like staff and acuity levels. Right. Um, so once I've done my walk around with um, the different areas to make sure everyone's safe and happy and that there's not anyone that I'm particularly concerned about that needs immediate attention, I then go to from nursing handover to medical handover. So then that's when I sit down with the, the medical team, so all of the doctors. So we have the junior doctors, the registrars and the consultants. We all meet together. Um, and we run through each ward and department and A and E, and discuss all of the every single patient that's on the list gets discussed. So we talk about why they're there. So when they came in, why they're there, what our concerns are, what we've done today, and what we need to do on the next shift going forward. After we've done that, between us as a team, we allocate tasks. So we decide who's going to go and see who and who's going to do what jobs. Gina, do you think then, because that to me seems really structured approach to communication with and has to be super efficient and you need to get to the point. I think you called them the the highlights, if, I, if I'm correct, in the, in the 30 second, uh, in the 30 minutes. So again, you know, the highlights are what do I really need to know? You know, that's a, that's a good terminology for it, um, I, I think. And then obviously having the conversations with the doctors and the medical team. Is is that something that you learn in training? And is, is there literally communication structures or is that something sort of hospital to hospital can be different, different ways to, to, to communicate? Is it something you naturally need to have sort of? I think in the, in the way that we hand over, it's very, it, there is a structured approach and there's different kind of variations of how you do it. So, um, and there's different acronyms we use. So, for example, one of them is um, SBAR. So, it's S-B-A-R. So, we talk about situation, why they're there, background, what's their medical history. Then A is for, you know, action, what's happened today. And R is recommendation, what we do in moving forward. I, I love an acronym. I'm, I'm all for the acronyms. <laughs> But there's different ones that we use for, say, for in um, nursing, it's slightly different. That's a bit of a, a medical one that we do as a fast handover, especially in A&E. Um, with the nursing handover, that's definitely through training. It's a very important thing right. that we teach nursing students, and you have to get that right from day one. And if you don't hand over well the first time, you stand there and you do it again and you do it again and you do it again <laughs> until you wow. get it right. And what's actually quite good, although some people find it very intimidating, but... I think it's a good way for me personally to learn is that we do um, ground rounds. So when you're in your, when you're a junior nurse and you're looking after your patient, when we do the medical round, you are expected to stand at the end of your bed of your patient and present your patient to the consultant. Many people find that intimidating because, you know, consultants are consultants and we're all scared of the consultants because they know everything and they're like super brilliant. <laughs> But it's a really good way to learn because you you make sure you, you don't want to disappoint people and you want to make sure you get things right. So you make sure you know inside out of everything about that patient. So whatever question is asked of you, you can just go, yep, I know that. And then you're yeah. really on top of your patient management, making sure you know your patient and what their needs are. How difficult is that, though, Gina, if you've got, 
you know, however many patients on that ward that you also are having to worry about? Uh, I mean, it is, but it's something you get used to. So the, the time management and prioritization is something that you have to learn early as a nurse to cope with. Otherwise, you're, you're not going to be a nurse. You, you can't be a nurse if you can't um, yeah. prioritize and time manage. Yeah. And the handover for the nurses is really structured. So we do it in um, basically the alphabet, A, B, C, D. So we give a, back, a short background of why our patient's there. Then we talk about what are their airway concerns, what are their breathing problems, what circulation support are they needing, and we go through it as, as a list. Mm, okay. That kind of means that you think about everything, you don't miss anything because it's, it's not jumbled. You're not jumping from one topic to the yeah. other. So it's always a structure. Yeah, I think we we yeah we might roll our eyes at the concept of them as acronyms, but that having a checklist so that nothing gets missed feels like in those critical situations a really kind of strong team support, like a like a a really solid foundation for. I definitely know I'm going to be giving and getting the same information every time. Mm-hmm. And we've decided already that these are the important bits of information. What I'm interested in is, does it ever stray from that? Does it ever like, I do my ABCD or I do my SBAR and then I have to tug on the sleeve of the consultant and go, but I also need to say this. Or is that like, no, thank you. We don't dip into that. No, I think I think one thing that we get a bit lost on and we get sidetracked and strayed with is um, social situations when we're talking about family dynamics or any safeguarding issues and things that um, come in and things do cross over because if I'm talking about someone's airway I I, I automatically want to include their breathing because all of all of our you know bodily systems are um, interlinked so if you're doing an intervention to one it affects another so of course everyone you know um, sidesteps a little bit um, into different thought processes Mm. but I think there's sometimes a bit of a misconception between the relationship between doctors and nurses as well. Like there is, there isn't that. Thank that, you, soap operas. <laughs> yeah, there, there isn't that. It's really informal. I mean, there's a there's a lot. I mean, everywhere I've worked, certainly there's a lot of respect between yeah. the teams, and we value each other and we appreciate each other's knowledge. So there wouldn't be a time, you know, you go through your structured approach, a handover, but if you have a question, no one's gonna tell you it's not the appropriate time to ask a question yeah was that always was that always the case though Gina because I I feel as though there was a bit of a stereotype um maybe more so watches a lot of call the midwife no I do not I do not I do not no but there was that that kind of well actually I actually read it in a book if we want to get specific here guys so you know it's um just in terms of the relationship between uh kind of doctors and nurses and stuff like that where there was cases where maybe nurses were their kind of their opinion was kind of overrided by 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 a consultant or by a doctor or 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 someone like that and so they would kind of have the final say on things and so there were cases where a nurse would see something and they thought like oh my god I need to say this sometimes they didn't or they thought that the doctor was making a mistake or that something wasn't quite right but they wouldn't say anything because of that hierarchical approach to I mean to, I think, to the I think there's always setup. Really like isolated situations where things like that happen but as a nurse part of my job one of my other hats that I have to wear as a nurse is I am the voice of that patient that patient can't speak up for themselves that's my job my job is to make sure that patient is safe getting the right treatment and is being heard essentially so if I'm if I'm concerned about something and I don't speak up to that consultant or that professional that's involved in their care I'm failing my patient and I'm failing my profession by not doing that yeah so that you know there are of course people that aren't as friendly as others there's been consultants where I've worked with who have got have let their ego get in the way of patient care Mm, and I've had to stand up and say to them actually no you need to step away now I don't want you to be doing this Um, and they're difficult conversations to have but again it's always got to be in the best interest of the patient it's not always easy. It can be scary, but it, you know they're few and far between. It's not something that you have to deal with on a daily basis. All right. This doesn't sound massively different, although I'm sure it is. From we spoke to uh, a sergeant in the RAF, and he was talking about the value and importance in rank in terms of how a decision gets made, but that process beforehand of collecting all the information that allows 
the person of the highest rank to make their best judgment call mm. uh, being as open as it possibly can. So I, I don't want to shut down anyone's idea or anyone's uh, input. It just falls on me to make the decision. And it sounds like that kind of the pulling together the information yeah. from nurses. And you like, I don't quite know what the structure is, but you said that you were, a, did you say a level seven? Yeah. Is there a effectively a rank where the highest number would be the person called upon to make the decision um within nursing yeah there is because you're when you when you qualify as a nurse you're band five you're a staff nurse band six senior staff nurse band seven you become a sister band eight you're a matron so there is a definite hierarchy but for me it's very much a team so as a junior nurse as a band five you would be expecting to escalate to your senior nurses on your shift so but the better way to look at it is a um, a structured level of support yeah. rather than seniority. So it's someone you can yeah. always go and escalate to for help if you need it. That's a nice way of looking at it. Yeah, <laughs> really valuable way of putting it. And it's not one that's it's not one that's come up before. So podcast validated. No, <laughs> it's the same with the medical team. You know, you've got the junior doctors that you know have always looked at doing the you know the the running work, always running yeah. around doing this set and the other. When the consultants just kind of sit there and instruct and direct, but mm. it's not. There is that um, seniority within their team, um, and I'm at the bottom of that team because I'm a nurse, they're a doctor. But yeah. everyone works together, and everyone's opinion is valued. And the doctors are very good at understanding that we as nurses spend all day with our patients they see them for 20 minutes in the morning 20 minutes in the afternoon so they they respect our opinion um and we might not be able to medicalize it in a way that they do so easily um because of the way their brain works and they're so intelligent but we know how to look after patients and we know when something is wrong so they listen to us i might not know what it is but i can tell them i'm worried and they listen to you and they'll figure out what the problem is so, Jean, is, I was just going to say, so so that 20 minutes when they're coming in to see that patient is that they're having that override rided kind of decision to be like, this is what this could be. Is, is that correct? Is that sort of their, their main sort of task is to figure out what that problem is whilst you're in care of them? Yeah, so they, they'll decide, um, you know, do the patient assessment, decide what our problems are, decide what treatment we're going to um, initiate to fix those problems and ultimately come up with the diagnosis and the long-term plan to get this patient discharged and home. And it's our job as nurses to facilitate those plans and make sure the patients are receiving the care that the doctors instruct. So there is a structure there in the difference between a nurse role and a doctor role. Of course there is. But, you know, even things that we have daily, we have meetings for the different teams. So, you know, we have a complex patient meeting where, the whole of the MDT, so all of the nurses, the doctors, the physios, the speech and language therapists, we all meet to discuss this patient and we say, this patient's really difficult and really interesting. What does everyone think about this patient? And we all put our ideas in and then there's one consultant that's responsible for that person's care overall and they'll, they will ultimately come up with the plan of action. Mm. But it's definitely a, a team a team approach. It feels like it's super important though as a team that you or you can tell me actually if it's important to kind of stay in your lane to speak of your expertise and to let other people speak of theirs and and or do you find there's the crosstalk and the Mm -hmm. and the people chipping in based on what other people have added no I don't I don't feel that that is ever really a a stay in your lane situation I mean Mm. we've all got our own expertise definitely but there's always going to be, I think the best thing to be aware of being a nurse or a doctor is to understand and appreciate that you're never going to know everything and that you always need to ask a question. Right. And yeah. I think when people get to the point where they think they know it all, they become unsafe and they need to step away from that patient. <laughs> we don't yeah. want them around. <laughs> you know, you know, Gina, that meeting where everyone is in the room and, and you are asking questions, questions about that patient, again, is that, has that become more of a thing over the years where people have understood that we do need other people's opinions and it is a kind of whole patient almost approach to, or a whole team approach to a patient? Or has that always been the case? Has, has, has it always been that the teams would come together and, and discuss? Um, it, I mean, in my time being a nurse, I think that's always been the case. But I think as I've moved up in 
terms of the structure within what my job is I'm just more involved in these discussions because um, I'm more experienced um, yeah. and I'm at a more senior level so you're more involved in those kind of um, meetings which is it's a kind of like double-edged sword really because I really enjoy that side of things but then you do lose a bit of patient contact mm. I was going to say how much of your role now is is meetings and and discussions and and management to to the actual practical side of of, of nursing so on paper my job is 80 percent clinical 20 percent management however okay. um we get overwhelmed with meetings and management so i mean i'll never go into shift and be given a patient um workload that's not my job anymore my job is to see the children that are yeah. escalating the most, the most need in need the most complicated the most yeah urgent so we have a we have a basically we decide on the severity of a child's illness on uh, different clinical indicators. So one of them is a really easy bedside um, scoring tool. So we write down their heart rate, respiratory rate, um, temperature, oxygen levels, all different things, and it gives us a number. And if the number hits above five the escalation, we have escalation processes for everything. Yeah. Their first step for that nurse that's at the bedside is to call me. So I will then go, because that child has now deteriorated, they're becoming more unwell. So then my job as the um, senior nurse on shift is to go and review that child, decide if they need any intervention, put those things in place, and then if necessary, contact the medical team for further, um, for further assessment. Because as a nurse, I can only go so far in terms of what treatment I'm giving. Of course. You might want to speak about previous experience rather than what you're currently doing. But I'm interested to know how all of these structures hold up under the uh, the pressure of something like A&E. Uh, I can imagine ICU is quite a different vibe. But I get the sense that stuff happens quite a lot and quickly and urgently in A&E that feels like it's designed for communication to slip um it can do yeah but again we have systems in place to make sure that doesn't happen so from a nursing point of view in A&E there's different areas within A&E so say you, you've got five nurses on shift at the start of the shift you have your nurse in charge who allocates roles to each of your team so you'll have one nurse in triage one nurse in minus one nurses in majors so everyone's got an allocated role right from the get-go so you're responsible for your own individual area, then your nurse in charge has got oversight for the whole department. We've also got um, flow coordinators in A&E. So they basically sit at a computer and look at a screen to see, right, this patient's on three hours. Why are they still here? Why, why haven't they got a plan? Who's seeing them? And they'll escalate from a, um, uh, a bed management point of view to yeah. decide. And are they, are they nurses? Are they, are they clinical? They're clinical nurses, yeah. But then, for example, if there's a, uh, a RESA, so if we get called for an emergency, sometimes they just turn up, they just walk in. Yeah. Sometimes we get a telephone call ahead of time to say, you know, your ETA is 10 minutes. That's great. You know, that's the best thing ever to happen, to know that we've got <laughs> 10 minutes to prepare for this person that's coming in. So then we'll go around the room and the consultant will be in charge of that situation. They are completely hands off they do not touch the patient they stand at the end of the bed and they direct each team member so That's before the patient arrives we allocate roles and it's really simple things but that's effective so if someone gives you instruction you have to say the person's name so if i want this person to have um a fluid bolus mark i need you to give this fluid bolus and then your response but yes gina because i know you've heard me so you have to use names because then you know that that person so, has been allocated that role so and is responsible simple, for that role. But like so simple. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. Love. I love this stuff. This is this is this is my stuff. Just say my name and I'll get the job done. <laughs> so before the patient arrives, everyone has allocated roles and everyone's name is introduced if you don't know each other. Because yeah. especially in pediatrics, we have so many people that turn up for the emergency because we never know what we're getting. Yeah. So you'll have like the surgeons there, the pediatric team, the orthopedic team, um, you know, everybody and anyone. The pulling stuff the out of your nose team. 
Yeah. <laughs> I mean, about, about, about a million students will turn up as well because yeah. everyone's interested in the paediatric patients. Um, and the, but then very quickly we step down. So we'll do like an initial survey of the patients. Like, right, do they have any long bone injuries? No. Orthopedics, you may step down. They then leave. So um, wow, quite often okay. you're left with just one doctor, your consultant and two nurses. I want that. I want this to be a performance art piece. This feels. This feels <laughs> like my my theatre director bones are, are jangling. <laughs> at wanting this this kind of uh, conducted orchestra. A, yeah. Well, as well, when when we have time, we we run really often um, simulations. So we practice for these events all of the time. Um, so you'll be on a ward, for example, and the crash alarm goes off. So everyone goes running and then there's just a dummy in the bed and you're like, oh, here we go again. <laughs> but all these things th- are really important for people's training. I think that's really I think that's a really important thing there when you, when you talk about practice, Gina, because I think in your line of work, which we, we had um, uh, with Sergeant Casey uh, from the RAF, it, it, it can be, you know, without being dramatic, it can be a life or death situation that 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 you are in within your job which so many other people are never in they go to an office they sit in front of a computer for eight hours a day they look at some numbers a lot of my drama classes are life and death sean (laughs) okay fair enough (laughs) but but um but point being is that in all of our jobs i think that practice Mm. is under kind of estimated and, and we don't do enough of just practicing on 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 things and we just kind of take it for granted and i think that so i think a lesson can be learned from 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 within hospitals and and with medical staff that that practice is so important so i'm sure from your point of view as you said that is a hugely important part of of your job it is i mean we do it all the time and to be honest for me i, I do get a bit oh not again here we go yeah but, of course you know for the for the junior nurses especially it's an incredibly nerve-wracking environment to be in, especially if you don't really know what your role is. You've not yeah. been exposed to that very often. So actually mm. now, like even going back to before my job now, before I was doing this, I was a, um, a sister in A&E's. So I would very often try and take a back seat in the emergency situations and just be there behind my junior nurse saying, right, now you need to do this. Right, now think about this. To get them used to being in the habit of, thinking for themselves and being able to it's very difficult but our our role in that emergency situation is to preempt what the doctor is going to ask us to do you have to be like two steps ahead of the situation to make sure that that patient gets what they need in time right yeah and, and and do you do you teach was going to be my next question as you actually practice yeah. not no sorry All not practice time. in in a real life situation so uh, you know i was watching i'm watching a i was watching a program on netflix all about brain called surgeons midwife. no it's, it's actually called lennox hill it's really interesting uh highly recommend it but the surgeons are actually having the students there and as he's kind of you know doing brain surgery he's talking them through the process is that something that you've had to do or been experienced uh, or, or had those experiences? Because I find that mind-blowing that you can do the work and teach it at the same time. Time allowing, it depends if you're in a critical situation or not. Because if, if for example, you're in you're in recess and, you know, the child needs IV access and I've got a trainee next to me and they've had one try, they're not going to get a second try because this is yeah. an emergency. We just need to get in there and get it done. But all the time we're, we learn on the job it's great having all the theory in the background to why we do stuff and how the body works. But actually we learn how to be nurses by practicing and by being yeah. active and clinical. Um, Cause you, you notice a difference even between um, our training for nurses that work in less clinical areas to the A&E nurses, you know, the skill set is so, you know, vastly different just because that's not what they're exposed to. So we are constantly, constantly training all the time. So for example, if, I was on the ward um, day before yesterday because someone needed a certain procedure, which is a senior nurse job. Um, and one of my colleagues has just joined my team. So we're training her up. And I'm like, right, so, you, you, you know, this isn't a, a time critical thing. So I'll talk you through the steps. So we do it. And so that's right. it now. She's yeah. done that skill, ticked off. Next time she'll do it on her own. It makes me think of your the of your role as and this might be in, inherent in any kind of senior nursing role not just yours specifically but there is an ongoing coaching that's happening 
that you're yeah. that that everyone is kind of coaching down everyone is making sure and you described it when you were talking about levels of support rather than seniority is that a taught skill are you are you taught to teach yes we are so when you're in training you're given a mentor so someone that you work alongside because as mm. a student nurse you're not allowed to work independently because you're not you don't have a a pin number you're not signed off to be in that position yeah and then once you qualify as a nurse you then undertake additional training so it's a university credit in mentorship so you have to oh, be wow. before you po- can progress onto a band six for example you have to have completed this additional university program to enable you to teach within the hospital setting and then That's once you've done that that extends again on that then you become a preceptor so then you become responsible for the junior nurses that have already qualified so you're constantly teaching and then every three years now we have to revalidate. So I have to prove to my governing body, the NMC, that I've been actively teaching yeah. in the last year. How about last you, year. Sean? Do you have to, do you have to tell cool. someone your football skills every three years? No, I'm in a fortunate position where everyone knows I'm amazing. So <laughs> I just can kind of crack on year to year. So we ask everyone, uh, we talk about how coaches are made out of the people who coached them we learn how to teach from our teachers and so we ask people if there's any uh, person or skills that they picked up from the person that, that that coached them or that taught them that they've brought into their practice that that they consider is part of how they teach or how they coach I feel like this is going to be a bit of a negative response but I've, I've actually modeled my behavior on poor behavior that I've seen previously okay so think things that I I haven't really appreciated or witnessed to be um good role modeling or good behavior from other people are the things for me that i've actually remembered and taken away more so than anyone that's been like particularly positive i mean that's probably just me being a bit a skeptical person yeah. and just to clarify those are things you've decided to not do yeah. Okay, <laughs> so I mean, uh, I've worked with some. I've worked with some great nurses who were really have been really supportive and obviously taught me some great things. But the ones that I seem to remember, which is just probably my like you know my personality and my skepticism, is that I remember people think, "Why well, I, I never want to be like that. I never want to be that kind of nurse. I want to make sure that I I'm really good at doing this because I've not experienced that to be very nice." There's something in that 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 you know that the people you're coaching it's not the status isn't different it's not teacher and student it's nurse and nurse so anything mm. that you're offering you've also experienced from the other side so you know exactly the position they're in rather than trying to trying to imagine how they're going to receive the mentorship you've had that yourself yeah so there is something in in i'm going to do unto others as I've had done to myself. I mean, on on the medical side with the doctors, it's it, it, there is still that kind of um, difference between their grades in that, you know, the, mm. the junior doctors are terrified of the consultants and if the consultant asks them to go and get their lunch, they will. Whereas with the nurses, I'm like, well, no, you can go and get your own lunch. Why am I getting your lunch for you? <laughs> you know, so there is, there is that sort of like slight difference there yeah. um, in terms of... Hierarchy. Um, yeah, in terms of hierarchy, and it, it, there is still that differentiation between your senior or I'm junior, whatever you need, I'll do. I mean, one of the matrons said last week, um, she asked one of the nurses to do something, and um, she was, you know, she wasn't reluctant. She was just kind of querying, oh, do you know, do I, do I really need to be doing that? It's like, well, I'm the matron, and when I, you know, if my matron asked me to do something, I would do it without even questioning. And I'm like, no, that's that's not for me. That's not how we get mm. people to work together. That's completely yeah. like constructing like a nice working relationship so for me it's all about that person that has is just as good as I am they just haven't been a nurse as long as I have so let's nurture them and get them encourage them teach them and get them to be a good nurse because in three years I don't want this person that's negative and doesn't want to work on my team I want good nurses on my team and the reason how we get them is to train them to be good nurses 100% and it has to be about it has to be about modeling it because they are you're yeah. you're training them to uh not replace you but they're tra- you're training them to take your place yeah and also like when you when you're responsible for every single patient on the ward i want to be able to trust the nurses that are at the bed space i don't want to be having to go and double check everything they're doing yeah 
completely do you know i was just gonna say what you know obviously your work you know you're you're not robots you, you know you're human beings so people are gonna have off days um that's just just gonna be the way so how do you deal with someone that may be having an off day that comes into A&E and it's a busy like Saturday night? I mean, are there things in place and strategies that you take on board or, or I don't know, are you not allowed an off day? I mean, of course we all have off days. Everyone has an off day. The best thing that people can do when they're having an off day is to just say, I'm not feeling my best today, guys. And then you can all have a little bit of patience with each other and, you know, pick up the slack basically. Uh, again, it's communication. I I really have always felt like I've worked in a really strong team um, yeah. and a supportive teams. And I feel like we look after each other because there are times where it's incredibly difficult and it's incredibly emotional. Um, but I mean, that's again, another thing that I think we do well. Like if there's been a particularly difficult case that we've had to deal with, we go away as a team. So anyone that's been involved, so the doctors, the nurses, the physios, um, you know, even the chaplain, whoever's been involved in that situation, we all go away to a room and we sit down and say what we like a debrief. So what did we do well? What could we have done better? How is everyone feeling? And we thank each other. We say thank you, like well done. Thank you for working so hard. Thank you for looking after me. And it's really valued and it's really important. So of course, like you know, we're human, but we we just have to make allowances for each other. After um, coronavirus, actually, we've we've now um, put together better staff spaces, really, because we don't really have anywhere that we can just go and relax and be by ourselves or, you know, wherever you go, there's clinical talk around you. Um, they've yeah. called them, I don't, mean, don't, don't really like, like it myself, but they've called them wobble rooms. So if you're feeling like you need a little bit of time out and a bit of a break, you can just say, I need a minute, and then you can just go and take some time out. So I think uh, like yeah. we're all it's in the really same important. situation. So we we understand. I mean, if it's something that would be like an ongoing issue, you'd have to have a one-to-one -one conversation with that person and say, look, look, what's going on? How can we support you better? Um, and find yeah. out if there's anything you can put in place to help them. But on a day-to-day, -day, it's just kind of right. all right, you're having a bad day. We all do it. And it's just, you know, it's not made an issue. Yeah. It says something about the conversation that we've been talking for 40 minutes and only just got on to the global pandemic that has ravaged yeah. the world. Uh, no, there's so much in there. And I could like I could see Sean's eyes lighting up on the on the, just whenever people talk about clarity or specificity in communication. I know that that chimes with you, Sean, in terms of of what you think makes teams run well yeah yeah 100 percent. and i just think that thing where gina's just said you know someone puts their hands up at the beginning of the shift or whatever and just says look I, i'm not 100 percent, or i'm not i'm not having the best day and people work around that and i think that within a workplace i think we're very scared sometimes to say we're not 100 percent. we're not allowed to to not be 100 percent um and so, you know, if you do have a team around you that you trust and that you, you have a good relationship with, which is, you know, obviously major, majorly important. Um, if you don't have that, then I think people can slip through the cracks and won't put their hand up and then will make a mistake, you know, in the hospital, which, you know, can could be a huge, a huge, a huge error. I mean, it goes back to Ray Dalio, Mark. Um, uh, Gina, just just one of our previous episodes, we 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 touched on um, Ray Dalio and having that kind of a a database basically of mistakes and errors that come up, and so if it becomes a pattern, then it's not really the individual's fault; it's the organisation's fault because people are making the same mistakes. I, I don't know, maybe I don't know if we want to touch on that, but is there something similar within your workspace where things would get logged and if things become a pattern, you kind of uh, they get highlighted? Um. Do you mean like on, on, on an individual? I mean, we do from a safety point of view, from a patient safety um, aspect. Yeah, no, from if a patient, yeah. Yeah, so if there's kind of errors within, within you know, the environment, we have a, um, an IT reporting system and actually we have a specialist nurse who's employed just to go through our um, safety incidents. And then okay. once a day, we have a safety huddle so uh, all the managers from paediatrics have to attend the safety huddle and we go through what were reported incidents of the last um, 24 hours. So there'll be um, 
you know, near misses, minor harm, major harm, up to death. Obviously, we never want to get to that point. But yeah. um, then if those things, that's how we learn. So we go, okay, this has happened. Should this have happened? Yeah. Um, Could it have been avoided? Do? What can yeah, we what do we put yeah. in place to change it next time? So there's actually a, um, a whole nursing team that look after that kind of thing. But um, every nurse is responsible for reporting these things. It's not really like for a personal... You know, if, if there's a medication error, that gets reported. If there's eight medication errors and it's all the same person that's performed these medication errors, then obviously... <laughs> we got a problem. That gets addressed, but... I'm not going to that hospital. <laughs> it's kind of like a, not a um, point and a finger at any individual. Yeah. It's yeah. As, a, as a trust, what can we do to make sure these things don't happen again? Is there something organisationally yeah. that might be responsible for this that means the setup isn't right, despite yeah. how good the people are doing? Yeah. Yeah. And just to clarify, that is what Ray Dalio was doing. It wasn't a point and finger thing. It was to improve the organization yeah. for the people within it. If this thing happens to one person, we note it. If it's happening to everyone, we need to change the situation because something's not working. Yeah. Gina, when people come on, we ask them if they have anything to uh, plug or promote, just whatever, or if they have a message they want to. Uh, emphasize to the world uh, I can imagine wash your hands <laughs> as a start Do you know what it's important actually at the moment it's not really like a plug but um A&E is not busy at the moment and we think it's because people are afraid to come into hospital yeah so the children that we're getting coming into A&E are so sick because they've gone past the point of that children are amazing at getting sick very quickly and recovering very quickly because their their little bodies actually can compensate very very well for a long time. Um, but I think like a message to take away is that in every hospital we've set up very safe pathways for people to come in that they're not going to be exposed to any dangers as a result of coronavirus. So if people think that their child's unwell, they need to seek yeah. help. Parents know best, so as soon as they are worried, if the parents are worried, then we need to be worried. So they should come to Amy. Yeah. So don't 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 wait. Don't avoid it and don't wait because you're worried about coronavirus or because you think hospitals are going to be overstretched. If yeah, it, it's it's all still operating and it, we're waiting for your call. A and E is open and A and E is safe. So if a parent is worried, then they need to come and get help. Brilliant. Perfect. Don't get me wrong, we're busy. No one's sitting with their feet up, but we'd rather them we'd rather them come in when we can help them early than wait till they're, you know, like really, really oh. sick. <laughs> Thank you so much, Gina, for coming on. This is this has been so interesting. Uh uh it does sound like you're busy. It does sound like you're doing an important job as well, which for the drama teacher and the football coach who can't do drama or football at the moment, I think a little bit of envy. Uh <laughs> But we're really grateful for coming on and talking about what you do. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Gina. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. So that was our conversation with Gina Penfold. Uh, again, completely completely different to stuff that we've spoken about before yeah um and that's why i was excited about getting gina on as a guest because you know we are trying to look at teams from all different angles from all different industries um and environments um because i think that's the best way of getting a gauge on on what we think does work within a team and kind of what doesn't because patterns do emerge um across the different industries but today was a really unique one um, and Gina gave a really good kind of depiction of what it is like to, to work within a hospital um, and just all, all the structures in place and the communication that's there is just it's just massive yeah. um, and I think we could definitely learn something from it completely the thing that, that I was struck by is like yes the, the, the structures are in place but the kind of common sense and simplicity and like she was saying towards the end where like if something's not working we have a whole team to review it to make sure it doesn't happen again like when she was talking about the the using each other's names just to confirm that i've heard you that's that's both like a straight up courtesy uh but also a really really simple way 
of ensuring good communication. Yeah, I think I think we've all been in meetings where someone may say something to to the group of people around the table, but they may want to be directing it to an actual person yeah. whose role it is to to fix that thing or to work on that thing. So even the simplicity of just saying if we're all sitting around the table and saying mark you know x y and z uh is super super beneficial so yeah i mean super simplistic but something that just makes you think right how key is communication within a team and it's it's uh, paramount yeah so completely new situation as far as our guests go but some real parallels there i think i pointed it out in the interview some real parallels there uh with how the military are working although again other things i loved the, this idea that it's about support not seniority when we're talking about that rank that made me feel a lot more comforted yeah that was a that was a really interesting one um because we've not really had it worded in that no, way have we really when we looked at hierarchies and and, and and organizational structure no one's really said it's kind of levels of su- support and i think when we do get into more senior roles and more managerial roles sometimes we can think of ourselves as someone who needs to control a yeah. situation. Someone who's or, doing the big job. And so yeah, that's the big our, job or yeah. yeah, or telling other people what to do, opposed to being someone who is a senior member of staff with huge amounts of experience that my job is for people to come to me and I can support them in my experience and my expertise. So I really liked how, how she put that. Yeah, it was super. And it just says to me that the, the wider we can cast this net, of people that we're talking to, the the more influences we can take into our own team making and our own team building. So hugely, hugely valuable. And I hope that you guys all found it uh, valuable as well. Uh, if there is something you want to uh, hear us talking about or you want us to talk to, uh, you can contact us. You can at us on Instagram and Twitter at uh, no i podcast or you can uh leave a review on itunes and stick it in that or you can leave us a voice note even on anchor anchor.fm slash there's no i um or old school you can uh email sean or mark at uh, no i podcast dot show uh, that's us for this week so happy with this one i hope you guys enjoyed it uh, unless you have anything to add sean no no that was just a really enjoyable interview and i hope that our audience love it and uh, look forward to next week brilliant so then uh, just last thing to say is goodbye from sean goodbye guys <laughs> and it's goodbye from me goodbye <laughs>